So we were just talking about the women's build, uh, the Habitat women's build's happening right now. And um, it's funny, our, our crew is like, it's been a very good build. Usually it's, it's a great build every year. It goes really, really smoothly. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, our crew has been, has been funny about it because we had Kendra Scott's like some of their staff yesterday and one of the guys was like, you know what? I'm really excited to work with that crew. And I was like, are you? Are you really? You know, he's a single dude. And I was like, is that right? Are you excited? And he was like, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's going to be fun too. He's like, that part will be fun. He's like, they have rescued me out of so many Christmases and birthdays from my mother. I am so, I'm going to tell every one of them thank you. Every single one of them. And I was like, that's reasonable. That's reasonable. Um, yeah, it's, it's going really well. Okay, let's do this. Let's turn to Acts 21. Um, so here's the deal today. Uh, this, this narrative that's kind of happening today, there is stuff to draw from from this. Um, but we're going to go through a lot of text today at once. And so I'd like it to kind of be, I'll stop a few times and we'll explain some things. I'm sure I'll rant about something unexpectedly a little bit. But um, I really just want it to be a time where we can listen to the story and kind of listen to the narrative explained a little. And I'm just going to kind of leave it with you, okay? So I I hope that goes really well. I hope that makes sense. Um, But let's just get after it a little bit and we'll, we'll read through it. So this... As we start, though, what happened last week? Kind of Acts 20 background. Anyone? He was teaching for a long time someplace and something weird happened. Right. What, why did they fall out of the window? They fell asleep listening to Paul's teaching? Right. It's like six hours or something. So he fell asleep. I do love also, let's just be really honest, I love also that people fell asleep when Paul talked. That's nice. It's encouraging. Y'all do that, you know? Y'all all do. All of you. And so it's nice. I don't, I don't, I don't mind either. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not so proud to be like, that should not happen. Yes, it should sometimes. You should all sleep probably more through some of this. But the fact that it did to Paul too, I'm like, yeah, take that. There you go. Yeah, just don't teach for six hours, Paul. Like, come on. Come on, let's do this. Well, the problem is, he did. Then it got all exciting. He's like, now everyone's awake. Let's do some more. Let's do three more hours, right? And taught till sun, sunrise, and then they live their lives. Um, what else? <laughs> what else happened after that? Right. He didn't stay dead. Yeah, he raised from the dead, keeps teaching. Um, there wasn't, they weren't, what does it say? It wasn't a small excitement that he was raised from the dead. It's like, yeah, yeah, obviously not. I'm sure they were glad, right? And then, from there, from there, it goes to what? Do what? Not Ephesus. Not Ephesus. Correct. Doesn't go to Ephesus. <laughs> they go to him, and what do they say to him? Don't go where? All right, don't go to Jerusalem. And here's, here's a major crux of today and last week and what's going to be happening is that they're asking him not to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because we'll be persecuted, and they think him going to Jerusalem is going to be what? His death. Paul, in fact, tells them, this is probably the last time I'm going to see you. Right? I know in my heart, in myself, I won't get to see you again. So I'm going to go, and I'm telling you goodbye, telling you pray for me, help me here, because I'm not going to get to see you again. 
Okay, so we have this cloud hanging over these last visits where Paul is saying, look, in, in all seriousness, this is probably, more than likely, the last time I'll see you. So let's pray together. Let me, let me teach one more time with you. Let's hug each other's necks, and then I'm going. And, and I want us to imagine the same way do you remember when Jesus is headed to Jerusalem? Remember he goes and his only stop, which is interesting, as he's headed to Jerusalem, is Zacchaeus, which is cool. He stays at his house, has dinner there. But the, the Bible says what? That he set his face like what towards Jerusalem? Do you remember? Sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He is, is stone-faced going that way. There is something else to do. He won't be deterred. And there's, op- there's opportunity for him to be deterred along the way. Jesus is. But he goes to Jerusalem because he knows he is going there to fulfill his purpose. He's going there to fulfill what he's set to do. He's going there knowing that's going to end up in his death on the cross and resurrection. And that's, that's, he's going in that vein, right? And Paul seems here to share a lot of that. To say, no, I- I'm not going to be able to be deterred meeting you from Ephesus Maybe even going there would be too difficult. I'm not even going. You can meet me at an island close. I just, I have to go there. Whatever the, the if we want to use the dramatic term and say, whatever the destiny is for me in this call to be uh, um, a teacher of the gospel to the Gentiles, I'm going to Jerusalem. Somehow that's going to fulfill it, okay? And so he knows that probably won't go well. Other people are assuming that's going to be his death, his persecution and death. And then we pick up. In 21, okay? When he had parted with them, he set sail. He came uh, by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. We had come to, or we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and then all, uh, and then they all, wives, children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. They went on the board the ship, and then they returned home. So, real quick there, we have this other visit of him being with this, this church family of people, um, that all the stories we've read, all these crazy stories, all the beautiful stories, all the strange ones, he's had with these people that he's leaving. Okay, So this isn't, this isn't like, I've spent four months with you, different groups of people a month at a time. This is, I spent two years in Ephesus. I spent a year here at Crete. I spent a year, and we saw people raised from the dead in this one city. We started a church, and they persecuted, and remember... You know, they tried to sacrifice to us. Wasn't that crazy? And we asked them not to. Then they tried to kill me, and y'all thought I was dead. They drug me out of the city. I mean, you have these stories. So it's like wonderful, intense family time with these people. And I personally love that we get to see how close they are here in some of these stories. These aren't like Paul's not this robot that goes around unafraid and unloving. Um, It's this person that people deeply love. This person that people accompany them. I know when we leave, when we get to go to Guam, uh, which is rare, but when we get to go to Guam li- to see Lily's parents, every time, and it could be the whole family or just us or whoever else, but when we go there, it's, it's beautiful because, you know, they take us to the airport. And then the first time that, that I went back to visit them, I was like, okay, they'll drop us off at the airport. It'll be great. Well, they, they park the car. 
you all go in together, you like go in super early so that you can sit outside the gate together and just like catch up for the last bit and spend the last bit of time together, you know, and you like hug 38 times. It's like saying bye at the grocery store, you know, where you're like, okay, see you later. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see them at cereal in like one minute, you know, right? So you do, and then you're like, ha, 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 and then you go to the next aisle, and then you're in the same one, and you're like, ah, I should never have hugged you five minutes ago, you know, that kind of deal. It's like that, but on purpose. They do it on purpose. They're like, so now are you getting coffee? And we're like, sure, we can. Like, let's all go get coffee together. And so then it's like this next moment where you're all getting coffee together, and they're like, Y'all, y'all want like a, a little snack from the bookstore? And we're like, I mean, no, but you, do you want to go? And like, yeah, let's all go together. So then you all go there, and then they walk you to the gate, and they like, it's the sweetest, saddest thing. Her mother cries because she hasn't seen us in a long time, and all their kids live in the States. And they just watch us all the way till they can't see you anymore, and you know they're still watching for you. And it's like so sweet and sad and perfect. It's perfect. It's beautiful, right? And this is, this is like that. They walk down with him to the boat. And they're like at the beach where he's going to load up. They don't go to the gate and they're like, all right, see you later. Peace out, Paul and the guys. They just, their families, their kids, all of them just walk to the beach and get their feet wet together to send him off, weeping and praying for him and crying they loved each other a lot. And they had so much history. All of these people, Paul had such a rich life with them. You know, you think about the different places you've lived and the people you get to see and the nostalgia that comes with that. And it's beautiful sometimes. It's hard and sticky sometimes, you know, or it can be, you know, it can have history with it that's great and history that's not great. And that's what makes it good, you know, to see old friends or people you don't live with anymore. But Paul had this along the way to Jerusalem with all of these people because he loved them because they loved him and the gospel of the kingdom heaven at hand was loving to each other and it was a rich thick beautiful community of people and you know none of us right now are are I mean maybe I don't know we've had different people along the way do that and leave and move back home to Arkansas or move to Kansas City to start their business, or do whatever they're doing. And it's, it's one of those things where we hope to develop a community that when someone goes, it, it hurts, you know? You, you want it to be something to where if someone leaves, it, it kills you, you know? You don't want it to be like, oh, good game, we'll see you later, you know? And that's, that's what their community was. It keeps going, it says, we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived... Um, at Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we had entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, who's Philip? Again, he's one of the seven, the Evangelist. What does that mean? Anyone remember him? Any stories in Acts? There's like two main ones, three main ones, kind of. Anyone? I'll pretend you're right if you're wrong. It's okay. Anybody? Uh, no, he has daughters, but he does have kids. And there's about to be a story with his kids, seriously. No, I'm not, I'm not being... I got you, yeah. <laughs> he has children, it's fine, man. You're the only brave one to say something. I got you, John. You're great, man. I'll take care of you, especially that mustache. So attractive. Anybody else? I know. Anybody? 
he was a seven, one of the seven that were asked to be deacons. That's correct. That's where we meet him first. What else? Two main stories I'm thinking of. He meets someone on the road somewhere. Yes. Yes. He meets the Ethiopian eunuch, um, who is like the main servant of Candace, um, royalty in Africa. And so uh, meets him along the way, right? He's just walking, and then a chariot comes with this, this main, this super powerful, influential person um, traveling and happens to be reading out loud from the scriptures, right? Philip says, hey, you know what you're reading there? He's like, no, I don't, unless someone explains it to me. Do you know what I'm reading? Like, actually, I'm, yes, I'm the perfect one to explain this to you. He's like, well, get in, the, get in this chariot with me. So he gets in, explains the scriptures, this, this eunuch is so drawn by the Holy Spirit to the, the stories of the way and of Jesus that he says, well then what? There's water. Shouldn't I just be baptized right now? Philip says, I think you should. <laughs> Baptizes him, and then the Spirit takes him away, right? Do what? Yes, he's just like, Zood. he goes somewhere else, right? Then what happens after that? There's another story about him. There's another wonderful story, actually, about him that, that we don't talk about too much. What was this people group that he went to after that and stayed with for years and years and basically changed their country? The Samaritans. Philip went to the Samaritans, which is the, the Jewish enemy, right? So I know we, we talk about Paul and Peter is kind of this first to go to the Gentiles, and then Paul kind of camps with Gentiles and does that. But Philip went to the enemy, the great enemy of the Samaritans, which I think is is beautiful and amazing. And when he went there, it's, they said that the Samaritans were all welcoming his word and welcomed the way. And so the, like, the way in Samaria really took hold in this time um, because one of the seven said, I'll go to the enemy. One of the deacons was an actual deacon, went to the enemy to serve them, taught there, and had wonderful, the gospel had wonderful, wonderful success and changed the world there. It was really beautiful. Okay? So then we have, right after that, he moves to Caesarea, which he stays there apparently for a long time, because that's a while ago, okay? He stays in Caesarea. So Paul and his, his companions, his travel folks, his crew, they stay with him, okay? They stay at his house, um, which makes sense. Uh, they entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, he had four unmarried daughters. See, he could have had sons too. It doesn't say he only had daughters. So you're, you're still probably right. No, uh, sorry. You're still probably right. So he had, four unmarried, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while he was staying with them many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owned this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, We and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an elderly disciple with whom we should lodge. So again, we have this, this story of a prophet coming while he's in the house of a longtime friend, another person who's, who's more than likely suffered at times for the way. And the prophet comes in and dramatically takes Paul's belt and binds himself with it 
And he says, this is what will happen to the owner of this belt. Prophesies un- through, through the Spirit. He's not just like trying to make a scene. Okay, this is through the Holy Spirit telling everyone what's going to happen here. Now, here's, here's something I think that we should all find very interesting. Is, is Paul says here, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Because obviously this is not what everyone wants to hear. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to be in prison or even die. Saying that there's only so much we know about what will happen here. Okay? I think because we read the stories and we kind of know what comes next. If you've read the rest of Acts, you know how the story plays out, right? And so we think that, that, of course, Paul must have known all of that too because he says, I know danger awaits me there. I know imprisonment awaits me there. He doesn't know why or the, the influence that may happen there. Okay, that, that part seems to be unknown by everyone. It's not like this isn't risky. It's not like Paul's like, no, I know exactly how this story ends. I'll go, everything's going to... It's not fine. Everything's not going to be fine. But they don't know that. All they have are prophecies along the way that don't sound good. Okay? They don't sound pleasant. And to be, to be really honest, I'm sure people tried to persuade him and say, look how much success we could have here, though. I know, I know you want to go there. I know you want to go to Jerusalem, but there's people, there's followers of the way in Jerusalem. James is going to say that in a minute. James is going to describe, hey, look, there's a lot of followers here. We're glad to see you. We're glad to have you, but there's a lot of followers here. You know, they're doing this. The church is, is attempting to do well. It's, it's poor. It's being persecuted. It's all these things, but it's doing it. Paul knows the direction of the Holy Spirit is what he must follow. He's learned it along the way. He's tried to go places and doesn't, and the Holy Spirit stops him. He tries to go another place, and he can't even speak, Scripture says, because he's stopped by the Holy Spirit. And then other times he's directed to go here, and everyone's like, why would you, why this place? This place is more influential, right? We have these stories of him learning to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And, and for us, I can't just help but think there's so many times in our life when we feel guided by the Holy Spirit to either either in a direction or in prayer to speak to someone or to encourage someone or to do this or to whatever it may be, to not keep silent, to do whatever. And the argument always that we create for ourselves is, no, there's a better option with more success here, right? Why, why do that? Why make a, a stand on this? There's so many other ways I can get back around to it here, right? Why move there? There's more success in this other city with this job and all these things, right? We, have, we, we can say this to ourselves, and that's what everyone around Paul is, is doing. Don't go do this. Stay here with us. Go back to Ephesus. Things were going so well there, right? Go back to Corinth. We had great times. They're, they would still love you there. You're going to go here. They hate you there. We love you here. Right? And I just can't help but know that's our argument in our own head. We don't even need anyone to argue that for us. Right? We want that for ourselves. Uh, and he keeps going. Um, when he come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting him, they related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? 
They are zealous for the law, and they have been told that you, um, they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Now take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself live in observance to the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment saying they should abstain from what's sacrificed to idols and from blood and what's been strangled and from sexual immorality. So then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Now, let's, let's break that down into to a story easier to understand. What, what, when they are received by James and the elders in Jerusalem, what do they do? They explain what's happened, right? They explain what happened with the Gentiles. They explain that it's going great, that Gentiles are believing, receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized into that. And they say, look, there's, there's all over the place the gospel is taking root. In all of Asia, people are hearing the gospel, and they're making it hard for idol makers to make money near the temple of Dionysus, which we've all heard of, which is crazy and it's amazing. And they're celebrating and they're happy with that. But then what do they say to him? What is the word amongst the Jews that Paul is doing? What's the lie? What are they saying that is said about Paul? Yeah, they're saying that you don't care about the law. There's specifics even. What are the specifics? They say that Paul says, don't circumcise your kids. They say that Paul says, abandon who? Abandon Moses. They say, Paul says, this, 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 this. All these things crucial to their identity and their character as Jewish people, they're saying Paul is discarding. And they're not saying that he says that to Gentiles. They're saying he's saying that to the Jewish people in the synagogues, which is extra ungooder, right? Very, this, would, this is a serious offense if he's doing this, all right? This is, this is not good. So what's their plan to fix it? Right. Let's take you and these four guys. Let's go observe an important custom. Let's do it out in the open. Make you even more Jewish, right? Let's, let's make you look like you're doing what he did a bit ago, was trying to do a bit ago, remember? He was trying to get to Jerusalem earlier so he could fulfill his bow, shave his head, shave his beard, offer it, to the, offer it at the temple, sacrifice, pay to do that, do all this. He was, he was trying to do that a while ago, remember? They're like saying, fulfill this with these four other people even. Show that you are observant. Go do this, and you pay as well. You, you pay for it. I'm sure they helped. I don't know how that worked. But they're like, you pay for these other guys. Go take them, and it'll be like you are leading in this custom. Take it. Go to the temple. Everyone knows you're going to be here. When they see you, they'll know, oh, of course, all these things they say about Paul aren't true. He's still incredibly Jewish. He is leading in this important custom that is part of our intrinsic selves even, right? Sounds fine, right? Sounds like a plan. And they're, again, throw in, and remember too, 
Remember too, we even said, and you went along with us telling Gentiles to not eat certain things and not partake in sexual immorality, right? And Paul's like, yes, we all remember. Yes, the letter, we took it everywhere. Everyone received it gladly. Wonderful job we've all done, right? So they go through that. Well, this is what happens. Let's see how good the plan goes here, or how well the plan goes. When seven days, when the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, seeing him at the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! Help us! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus and Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought them into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word, from the tri- word came to the tribune of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. Basically, the, the, the Roman leader of the place heard that there was probably a riot. And if there's a riot and confusion and a murder in the temple of this place, he is in great danger to allow this to happen in a place where he's the ruler. So he's going to react. Um, let me see. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they had saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul, which hopefully they got there quickly as they're beating him, trying to kill him. Then the tribune came to him, arrested him, ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and he could not learn the facts because of the uproar and ordered them to be brought back, ordered him to be brought back into the barracks. When he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people were following, crying out, away with him, meaning like away from this world with him, like death, kill him, let him be dead, right? Death to this man, death to him, away with him, right? So the plan doesn't go well, right? And interesting, I just think it's, I think it's interesting and, and not funny, but like funny-ish, that they have this plan to show that lies about him aren't true, thinking that lies can't follow that plan, right? Like, people who lie can lie about anything. Or you can make something seem bad no matter what, right? That's, that's an easy one. So he goes and is fulfilling this vow in the right way, doing this Jewish custom, and Jews from Asia say, look, look what he's doing. Accuse some of the men he's fulfilling the vow with to be Gentiles, which is a huge problem to be brought into the temple if you're a Gentile. And then the crowd is consumed with anger and hatred. They start to beat him to try to kill him. They're interrupted by centurions and officers and, and Roman tribune, and they have to carry him away because they want him dead so badly. They're not even, they're not even stopping with these guards here. They're not, even start, they're not even stopping with centurion, an army, going in and saving him. They're still trying to beat and kill him. Centurions have to physically carry him away. And then as the, the tribune's trying to find out what in the world is going on, he can't because everyone's screaming at each other. Okay. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men and assassins into the wilderness? Does anyone know what that's referring to? You, you don't have to. We haven't talked about it before. So there's, there's this 
It's actually mentioned a few times, possibly. Jesus even mentions it here, um, that this, this, this outlier faction um, was seeking to be, they think, anyway, was seeking to say the kingdom of God has come by military advance. So they took 4,000 assassins and were trying to assassinate Roman rulers at the time, right? That's, that's, remember they, the guy that, um, that uh, is on trial when Jesus is on trial and questioned? They say, do you want this man or do you want Jesus? I'm supposed to release someone to you. And they say, no, give us the other guy, right? He's possibly one of these assassins. He's possibly one of these, okay? So it's, it's something that everyone would know about because it was fairly successful even. And so he's like, wait, they hate you really badly. Are you one of those? Because you know Greek. You're talking to me in Greek. You, you, everyone hates you very badly in this place. They're accusing you of all kinds of things. Are you one of those? And he's like, no, that's, no, no, I'm not that. This is so confusing, right? That's, that's what that's from, okay? Jesus mentioned it a few times when he says, um, if, if I was from the wilderness, you would hate me, right? He's probably not even talking about John the Baptist there. He's probably talking about, I would be one of these kingdom of God people, okay? That's, that's kind of the story. Anyway, doesn't even matter that much, but that's why that's there. Um, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of, of Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had been given permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush, and he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness, um, can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on the way, I drew near to Damascus, Damascus, and at noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told um, all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. So now he's, he's recounting the story we've read forever, months, year, and a half ago, or whatever else, right? So he's recounting the story in his own words, which is beautiful, because it's, you know, I love the difference a little bit there, right? He's saying, because of the light, I couldn't see anything. You know, he's, he's giving it in his own words, which I, I don't know, I just think it's great. Um, and one Ananias, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And the Lord, and he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I've, in, I've imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And then even the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed. I myself was standing by, approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And upon this word they listened to and up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, fleeing dust into the air, this is an uproar that they're being it's out of hand. The tribune orders for them to be brought back into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncontempt? Okay, I like this. So here's, here's the deal. Yes, he is waiting. He's like, right before you hit me with that and injure me in the worst way. So he's stretched out to be flogged. The, 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 Roman, the Roman tribune has no idea. He doesn't care about the customs, about what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. Paul's been speaking in Aramaic to these people, so he doesn't know what he's saying, more than likely even. He just knows the crowd goes crazy again and flinging dust into the air and shouting in, in Aramaic, and they're screaming, and everyone wants to kill him. They're saying, away with him, away from the earth. So they're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So they bring him back in, and they're like, we're at least, least going to flog you. We, we need to know what's going on. We'll beat you. That will help them to calm down. And then we'll figure all this out, right? So Paul, as he's about to be beaten, the, the centurion picks up the whip. He asks him, which, again, I just think is so, that's like for a movie, like a, a comedy of some kind. Like a, I don't want to say that, but it's like a Monty Python thing. Where like he's there and he's like, oh, also... <laughs> Are you allowed to do this without, I mean, is this, are you allowed to beat a Roman citizen under the law without a trial? Centurion is like, hmm, no, I am not, actually. Let me check on this. I don't want to break the law like this because this is, again, part of what made Rome so successful was that the law was enforced. It actually was enforced and it actually was applied. And so this is what happens. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? This man's a Roman citizen. What are you, you're, you're about to do something that will get you flogged or worse. What are you thinking? <laughs> uh, when he heard this, he went to the tribune. So the tribune came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Which I love that he's asking. He can't like find out another way. He's like, is that true? And Paul should just say yes, right? Like anyone should have said, yes, yes I am. Please don't do this. Don't hit me. I'm very Roman, so Roman right now. I'm an incredibly Romanish citizen if there ever was one, right? So he says, the tribune came to him, are you really a Roman citizen? He said, yes. The tribune answered, well, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. Being like, how? You don't seem wealthy. I had to purchase it. It was expensive. How did you do that? Right? He's pressing him. And Paul says, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The tribune also was so afraid for he realized that Paul was, in fact, a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Okay, we're just going to stop here. 
And this is what I meant. There's, there's, it's just a long, detailed story. But here's, here's the deal. Um, first of all, no one praying with him from Ephesus would have thought this is how this would transpire, right? We don't know those things, okay? Paul, is, first of all, has gotten this opportunity um, to touch base with these Jewish leaders, explain what wonderful things are happening in the world and encourage him. That's wonderful. That's one, right? It's great. That is like this great success. Number two, he used to speak. He gets screamed at and yelled at and dust flung in the air and cloaks removed and thrown. But he gets to speak about his story, about how Jesus changes and alters the course of his life, also by going to Jerusalem. He's already got to do that. At a crowd so large that it's described as the whole city with one voice screamed and the whole city as one ran to him, right? This is a lot of people. He gets to tell this story. And then also now, he's with, this, with these centurions and with this tribune about to tell the story to them as well. And, and as we go through the next weeks, he goes through trial to another trial to another one to another one, getting to speak about the kingdom of heaven that's at hand, getting to speak about the way and what the way is doing throughout the world at every step. Now, they did not know that was coming. They were just obedient to the way. They were just obedient Paul said, I, I actually don't know what's coming. I don't know if it's going to be quote-unquote successful or if I'm going to just be killed right when I get there. I have no idea. I know along the way I'll be chained with two chains, which happens right away, right? The prophecy gets fulfilled so quickly in a week of him getting to Jerusalem, or a week and a half, whatever, of him getting to Jerusalem. But he knows certain things are going to happen, but he, don't, he doesn't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do with his presence there. He doesn't. And neither do we. When we are directed by the Holy Spirit with whatever that is, when you moved to Austin, you may think you chose that and you may have the Holy Spirit directed your steps. Maybe you prayed through moving here. Maybe you prayed through your last job and you're like, no, I will take this. This is the way. You didn't know what was coming. You were just obedient. We want so much information in order to be obedient. And I'm sure they wanted it then. Paul's a, a dude. I'm sure he, he wanted all the information. Please tell me, though, there's something good going to come of this, of me going to Jerusalem, right? He settled on, I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm sure along the way it was difficult to say yes to that and to go. The same with us. It is difficult to say yes to the Holy Spirit sometimes and be obedient. But, but it's we keep searching for all the information. We keep searching for how successful it's going to be. We keep searching for, oh, at least, at least it'll be this, right? At least if I do this, or we start this, or we spend money here, or we give to this, we want to know it'll be returned to us tenfold or something, right? right? Then we'll feel comfortable doing it. That's not the case. We want to know, oh, if we we're obedient in this way in the office, surely it will be received well. Then I'll be okay being obedient in the office. Right? If I move here, you know, we'll be successful right away and everything will be happy. And everything will be great. Right? In fact, the people that have moved from our church to go do different ministry things along the way, has it gone great in their first six months of being there? Usually not. It's usually been very difficult. Now, three years down the road, some of them are so pleased with what has gone on and they understand and are settled with the Holy Spirit wanting them there and they 
don't think they were crazy for listening in the first place, right, and all this. They, they have these moments now, some of them, but that wasn't always the case. They were just obedient. This is, this is what can get lost in the story just because it's Paul and because it's Luke and because it's Timothy and because it's these wonderful, heroic, normal people who don't know what's coming but just say yes and they're obedient. And as they go about the world, the gospel goes with them and they follow it and they're obedient if they can be. As much as they can muster, they're obedient. And that's what's changing the world along the way. And they would have never guessed this would be the reception. Now he's about to get to speak to Pharisees and Sadducees. Then he's going to get to speak to a Herod. Then he's going to appeal all the way to Caesar and get to go to Rome. And it's going to be heard in the heart of Rome, the kingdom of heaven at hand. But they they don't know this at the time. I think he's going to Jerusalem to be killed there. And I don't know what, what that is to you in your life right now. But I know that I say I know. I know that I need to just settle on obedience before it's a question. I'm just not going to second guess and debate it and try to say it's not the Holy Spirit's voice because there's a better way or a more successful way. I'm just going to just decide to be obedient before something comes up. And then I just want to walk that way. You know? I don't want to convince myself there's something different. I don't want to pick the thing that also makes the most sense, but also is sort of obedient as well, right? Let's get all the things together so that we're still like successful or something. And I don't want us to, to be the same on that. Um, and so in, in that, let's take communion, I think. And then again, in whatever else these two chapters have done with you, do that. <laughs> do that, okay? Um, but let's stand together.